Lights out. Welcome, everyone, once again, for another fantastic episode of Sleep Tech Talk, the sleep podcast with your hosts and friends, Emerson Kerr, Robert Miller, with the hands up. For those of you who are, who are not watching on YouTube, he's got his hands up, raising the roof, and uh, here trying to keep the roof up is your friend uh, and co-host, Jerry Moneycarot. And before we move forward, I'm going to toss it off to Emerson to give you a little idea of who our guest is today. Emerson. Outstanding. Thanks, Jerry and, and Robert. Um, we're really pleased to have with us today um, Dan Harold. Dan has been leading the sleep lab at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester for quite some time. Um, we met a few years ago on a project that we were working on with Dr. Morgenthaler, and it's been, it's been a lot of fun to get to know Dan. Um, you know, I was hoping to summarize Dan's resume, but it it's um, it might be the longest resume I've ever seen in my life, but quite an accomplished career. Uh, it started out in sleep in the mid 80s. I, I definitely am going to have to ask Dan what his registry number is because he he uh, became a registered sleep technologist. And I believe 1987. So uh, I'm going to guess it's a lot lower than mine and the and the rest of us. But uh, Dan has just been a part of a great sleep disorder center that's grown not only across the country with key locations in Jacksonville and in Arizona, but also around the world. And, you know, what, you know, Mayo Clinic stands for is just a center of excellence. I believe they're a five-star hospital, which, you know, definitely tells you a lot about their commitment to quality to be recognized, you know, by their peers in such a manner. But, you know, Dan, as a sleep technologist, and I think this is really great to see as well, as he's a, a former president of the BRPT, I believe it was chairman back in the day, but um, is that, I think you held two other offices in there. I think you ran the circuit, uh, secretary and treasurer, but also would have been a part of the APT, which is now the AST. So Dan has not only led in his community, but he's also volunteered and served and led in our uh, national organizations, which is tremendous. I mean, uh, tons of respect there. But Daniel, one of the questions we love to ask is, how did you get here? Because the three of us, you know, sleep is not what we were planning on, but we, we kind of backed our way into it. And if you can, once you answer that quick question is, uh, you know, you guys have gone through a lot of change at Mayo. I know COVID from talking to you and Dr. Morgenthaler, really thrust you into a lot of change, but you were really thinking about it before then. And I would love for you to kind of, once you kind of tell us how you got here is give us a quick idea of what that change meant for you and your, your team and the physicians there at Mayo Clinic. Sure. Well, my registry number is 346. Um, <laughs> and uh, so I, I got into sleep uh, for a, a few different reasons. Um, uh, I liked the hours. I was a night person, but I, I started at, at Mayo in 1981 and I got into the sleep lab in 1986, worked a few jobs. I was an animal, animal, animal care technician um, uh, with experimental mice to begin with. And I did some clerking in the x-ray files. And I, uh, then I, I got into the electrocardiogram 
uh, uh, laboratory. And it was at that time I spent most of my time in the ER and uh, the ICUs uh, and trying to learn as much as possible um, about that type of thing. But then I, I uh, heard that uh, sleep was four nights a week. Um, and uh, I thought that would be fun. And I thought it was an area that, you know, I, I could I could find a niche. And I, I feel like I did find a niche in, into the sleep laboratory. Um, so, and I was hired by Cameron Harris, who's <clears throat> even lower than mine, Emerson, uh, who's just recently retired. Um, but um, to answer the second question is that, you know, prior to COVID, we had started to look at the, the, changing, the ch changing landscape that we actually had here in, in sleep medicine and, and how technology was taking over um, doing, doing some of the things that we were, were, were doing as part of a normal job as any sleep technologist. And, and we looked at what we were looking at, what has changed and what hasn't changed over the, you know, over the time, what do sleep techs still need to do? And what do sleep techs need to advance on? And as we, at that time, and then we hit, then all of a sudden COVID hit and all the breaks were put on that. Um, it, the interesting portion of that is the experience during COVID where we had to switch gears very quickly to a, um, to a uh, more uh, in-home type of testing, which we had had been moving a little bit towards, but COVID now moved it to there and doing, you know, uh, CPAP titrations, you know, even trying, you know, what do you do? Just answering those questions, should we do them? And those kind of things and not then not, and deciding not to, and then doing, and then, uh, you know, getting all the circuits and all the, the filters and everything, masks that we needed to, to still try and take care of our patients in the best way that we could um, has, you know, put us on a fast track to where basically we, we've moved into today, which was part of my talk that we, we had met at a few weeks ago. All right. Well, I'll jump in, Dan. Um, I, I know that we, we started talking about this a little bit and, uh, you know, I gave the example uh, because I, I think it is, it, it is interesting to think about um, you know, sort of a research, and, and maybe you can talk a little bit about the types of research studies that you guys are working on at Mayo today, and uh, maybe not, uh, depending on, you know, what, what you're able to disclose, but, um, you know, I, I know that certainly working in an academic um, setting, you know, at times could be very different than, you know, a local hospital-based sleep center, and, you know, I think that, you know, this is an opportunity for sleep techs who are in our audience to be able to hear what those differences are. And maybe they're looking for, you know, that type of, of uh, situation that would allow them to expand the, um, you know, their knowledge and the, the types of patients and things that they deal with in the sleep lab. Well, it's, it's interesting. Um, I, I, I really know nothing different. So it's a little bit, although I, I have been able to, you know, see a large number of laboratories in the country. Um, I work with the BRPT, but, um, it's, it, there's an expectation of working with our three shields, which is clinical research and, um, and education and teaching, teaching the next batch. Um, it's, uh, working, you know, yes, you're right. I can't talk about specific research love to, um, that's currently ongoing, but, um, we have a, you know, we have a pretty large sleep laboratory right now. We're currently, you know, you know, 
footprint wise, we have 24 beds in our laboratory and we have then laboratories, um, you know, eight and six beds elsewhere um, and some other even smaller ones. <clears throat> but so um, we do clinical research, we do retrospective research. Um, uh, technologists can get into, um, you know, volunteering or being part of a protocol. We do a lot of that. Um, and it's basically just putting yourself out there and saying, you know, if, hey, I'd like to do, I'd like to help and get my feet wet with this type of stuff. That's how I did. I, um, I, I said that back in 1987, I think. Um, and uh, I just said, I'd like to be involved in some of the research that, that we need. And, you know, and all of a sudden I was given a protocol um, to come up with what is the data say for the first night effect of CPAP um, on patients because then we did two nights of CPAP and so I did a I did the uh, uh, I did the, the research back on what the items were um, or what the what the literature said back then and and there was nothing they they all said that there was no such thing as REM rebound and slow wave rebound or it was very light in their thing. And I, you know, my anecdotal understanding was there was significant REM and slow wave rebound on the first night of CPAP therapy. And so I wrote it up, did an abstract. It got accepted for APSS for a full 15 minute uh, thing. Back then you had slides and everything, you know, you know, doing all that kind of stuff and had to develop that and got learning, learning into how to do all that stuff. Um, and it wasn't PowerPoint, obviously. But I gave that I gave that talk and and I was scared and I was really young, but um, I, I, I got into doing more and more research um, just because I put my name out there. And that was the one thing that I can, you know, how do you evolve? How do you get involved, you know, statewide, nationally is putting your name out there and saying, I'd like to volunteer. I'd like to be a part of that. I'd like, you know, at my job, you can be part of our work too, you know, but you have to do all your other stuff, but, um, and uh, we do a lot of pediatrics here too. So um, we have people that, you know, put their name out there and say, I, we like to do that, you know, and, and, and that's the best way to do it. All right. So this is, this is going to be a question that may take you, uh, it might catch you off guard just a little bit, but can, tell us the most interesting story. You, you've had the longest sleep career out of anyone on this call. Um, and, and uh, you, you have to have had some, uh, experience over the years that, uh, you know, you just look back on now and, and maybe it's funny, maybe it's not, but, but what would be the, the one moment that you would, you know, you'd pick out and, and want to tell the story about, uh, about that experience? Boy, um, you know, with not getting into patient specific stuff, um, you know, we've had a lot of interesting patients over the last, you know, 35, 40 years um, that were there. Um, one of, probably the most requested story that I tell is my involvement with the BRPT. And uh, I'll try and make a very long story short is that um, I was working nights and I was giving a, uh, I was giving, I was doing the exam down in Greenville, North Carolina. And I was, I got off work and I left and I went and, and uh, flew partway there. And there was right in the middle of a hurricane. Um, and I had to try to find my way to there because I had all the test materials and I was doing that and I got 
So I finally got within driving distance and I went to rent a car and I got into a car and the guy said, yeah, or a guy said, hey, why don't we split it? Because I'm going to Greenville and he was driving uh, and or I was driving and we started getting there and, and the talk became very, very abnormal and very scary and very, and it was in the middle of, we were literally in the eye of the hurricane driving in North Carolina where I knew nobody. And he looked at me and he said, you know, I'm really lost. And we, he took me down a old tobacco dirt road. And I mean, I'm not very big, but uh, I was talking a really big game right there. And, uh, you know, I used my loud voice to, do, to, to, to scare that person enough to get down the road. I must have drove about 100 and 110 miles an hour down this dirt road. I was so scared. Um, and I left him in the middle of a four-way, uh, four-way intersection where two highways meet. That's, uh, the, you know, the research triangle down there. Right. And, and, uh, I was at the, I can't remember which one pit memorial or whatever, and, uh, left him in the middle of a hurricane and just told him to get out. And, uh, he got his bag and left him right in the middle of there. And, uh, it's probably the most requested, uh, it gets it, very involved and obviously can become very colorful. But in, in general, that's probably my most requested story. Well, as three Southern guys, we, we certainly understand that that question. You're not from around here, are you, boy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that could be frightening all by itself. Well, you know, Dan, one of the things that I've enjoyed in, in, in our, our relationship and, and with your doctors is not only have you guys have been on the the gosh the forefront like you said with REM rebound and complex sleep apnea and and so many things that you guys have changed our lives with without a doubt you know particularly that with you know the ASV technology but one of the things that I enjoy too is that you're so forward thinking and you know you you when last time we were working together on a project you guys had just put Epic in you were learning how to work with it and Ever since then, now you're, you've got epic integration. You've got some really amazing things you're doing with that and your own AI, which blows my mind. So, you know, we were at, when we were in Birmingham at Southern Sleep Society, you were talking a little bit about that. And, you know, we're all thinking forwardly, you know, knowing that AI type technology is part of our future. Can you touch a little bit on that? I realize there's some things you can't talk about, but how can, can others learn from what you're doing? Uh, with Epic, with, you know, this new technology to, to help your sleep center? Sure. Um, so um, it, it, it is just what you said. Um, it's been a learning curve with Epic. I think everybody would agree that that takes place in, in the healthcare field. Um, but yeah, you had mentioned Dr. Morgenthaler and all of our, all of our sleep physicians here, we have a lot of them. And um, Typically, the culture around here is a, a very forward-thinking. Where, where do we go? Where are we going? Where? How do we get there? And, and those type of things. Um, and they uh, they encourage, you know, thoughts. They encourage um, ideas because they have them themselves. And how to get that done? And how how can we do that? Who's the touch point that I need to start this this project? You know, you know, how do we start? Um, and I think it's a question, you know, like at the Southern Sleep Society meeting, there was a lot of talks on AI, but, but very few people know anything on how to get data into some sort of AI format and get, 
learning and things like that. I, I'm not the greatest at it myself. I'm learning as we go because we're encouraged to say, well, this is where it goes. And we have a lot of resources and not everybody has those resources, but it starts with the general encouragement and the ideas that flow um, in a very collegial environment here, um, which is something that, you know, I think people that work here are very, um, you know, they, they absolutely love, you know, that, that, that encouragement and the, the uh, forward thinking portion of that. Um, you know, we're, we're trying to do, uh, you know, tearing, tearing apart the sleep study and, you know, what, what can we do to have, you know, artificial intelligence say, tell us about, you know, not only sleep apnea, but, um, you know, cardiac disease, you know, pulmonary disease, you know, all those things with the, because we have, the nice thing about sleep is we have this large bank of information that we're recording that a bunch of squiggly lines. Yeah. But it actually tells a story and, and how can we use technology? And that's pretty much my role is to, how can we use technology to get that in there specifically with also things with Epic, such as um, API or HL7 interfacing uh, with clouds, you know, with um, how, how can we do that? And it's like, well, I don't know, but I need to find out. Um, yeah, Dan, you need to find out. So that was, that's pretty much it. And it, it's uh, again, just, just asking questions and touch points to where you need to get them. Dan, thank you so much. That that's uh, very interesting to hear, especially where you're when you're talking about incorporating newer technologies. When you think about where it started from paper and then uh, electronics, that was huge. But now we're looking at artificial intelligence. And thank you so much for that. But we're running out of time. Is there anything else you'd like to add, real quick, before we go? Um, I guess um, just thank you everybody here for. Um, inviting me and being allowed to, to talk on this. Um, what I'd like to do is encourage sleep technologists out there to um, don't stop asking questions about what you're seeing. Um, remember um, that, you know, it was realistically um, sleep technologists who first questioned REM behavior disorder and brought that in. Um, let's say slow wave and REM rebound. It was, you know, um, don't stop asking the questions. Document and ask questions about what you see. If it's abnormal, find out what it is. Don't stop learning and don't just think, well, this is what I do for my job and that's it. Um, there, are, there, are those, there are those situations where you have to do that, but there's also a lot of situations that we don't know about in sleep yet that are just sitting there waiting for a technologist to ask a question to say, boy, that looked weird. You know, I need to find out about it and I better tell somebody about it to see if they think it is too. If it's not, you've learned something. If it is, you've learned something. Well, thanks, Dan. I, I, we sincerely appreciate that. And those are definitely wise words. And, uh, but we thank you so much for joining us and we sincerely appreciate your time. And for all our viewers and listeners out there, we thank you for your support. We, we ask you to continue giving us the likes on YouTube, the star ratings on your podcast platforms. Please don't forget to add a review on that as well. And continue to share it with your friends uh, outside of, your, uh, outside of who, just yourself as well. And with that, we want to say thank you all once again. And until the next one, lights on.